Hello and welcome to episode 242 of the Veg Grower podcast. My name's Richard and I like to grow food in my allotment and garden. Coming up today, I've got a little topic from a listener that I received way back in January, but I've been saving it for this very week because it's Halloween. And that subject is about how I would go about using an allotment in a zombie apocalypse scenario. Now, I thought this sounded like a lot of fun, uh, and that's why I've been saving it up just for this week. Now, before that, as always, we have the diary and what I've been up to over this last week. And while you listen to that, I'm going to go check on my wife because I'm a little bit worried about her. Well, today is Thursday, the 24th of October, 2019. It's been a lovely evening and I've spent a bit of time with my veggie pod this evening. Now the veggie pod is still doing really, really well. I've got lettuce in here still and I want to sow some more lettuce at some point. I've got spring onions, I've got basil and I'm just getting a fragrance of that that basil. It's lovely. And even some beetroot. So it's been doing really well. And plenty, and plenty of carrots. That'll keep us going for quite a while. So I'm really, really pleased with it. But what I did have in here, and I've removed it this evening, was a tomato plant. The mistake I made with this was planting a standard tomato plant. It was a variety called Amateur, so it wasn't a dwarf variety. That plant just took over the whole plod. It grew everywhere and it was really, really... um, got quite big it produced plenty of tomatoes and they were lovely um, it just grew and grew and grew and basically it made it very difficult to really use this pod in its full capacity in my opinion so I don't think I'll be planting tomatoes in this again unless it's a dwarf variety but I have got lettuce in here and they are doing really really well and the carrots like I said doing also very well in that regard it it has been worthwhile growing stuff in here. But anyway, this evening it has been a bit of a tidy up in here. Now I've got a bit more space in here. I will probably sow some lettuce salads in here in the not too distant future. Now as for the tomatoes, it is coming to the end of the season. I'm probably going to get rid of my outdoor tomatoes on the allotment at the weekend. I'm just closing the lid down on the veggie pod. But in my greenhouse at home, I still have tomatoes on the vines that are ripening nicely in there. So even if we still want tomatoes, we still can, which is brilliant. So that's what I've been up to this evening, a little midweek update. Well, today is Saturday, the 26th of October, 2019. I'm just in the potting shed at the moment. And I'm in here because I've been making a few adjustments. Now, earlier today, the wife and I went to Ikea. And while I was in Ikea, I happened to notice they had some white boxes, plastic boxes. They're meant for recycling, but they've got a lid on top and the lid has a flap right at the front. And I figured... This would be a better way to store my chicken and quail feed. Now, I've been using sort of dog food tubs. It's the only way I can describe them. They're pet food tubs that are sold in pet centres. Plastic, again, fairly cheap. The trouble I've had with those, one, lately I've noticed a mouse has sort of gnawed a hole in the side and been getting at the food. Now, that's not a huge problem because I can deal with that. The other problem I have is where I've popped them underneath this shelf, 
I have to slide them out every time I want to get food, which means they don't get back pot back properly because it becomes fiddly. Uh, I always have this kind of saying that if something's fiddly, it'll mean it doesn't get done. So instead, I've brought these plastic tabs on the hope that it's just going to make my life a little bit easier and try and keep things a bit tidier in here. Now, after our trip to Ikea, I came home and I, I did a bit of general maintenance outside, tidying up and having a look around things. Lately, I've been popping into a lot of garden centres and they have got some real good discounts on. I've bought myself a new wheelbarrow, another small water butt, some more root trainers and a hydro patch. It's a LED grow light hydroponic growing system for herbs and salad. Quite cheap. I, I haven't set it up. I've haven't got it running as of yet, but I'm kind of interested in seeing how this is going to turn out. I think it's going to be a fun thing to play around with over the winter. Now, while I've been in this potting shed and escaping the rain, I've been taking note of a lot of my seedlings and plants that I do have in here, and things are really looking good. All my peas, I've said before, they've germinated, but they're actually growing quite nice and strong. I'm going to have to get these out into the greenhouse fairly soon. Broad beans, they're pretty much all germinated as well. And again, they are growing nice and strong. They're a um, couple of inches high. Nice, thick, green stalks. So all pretty good. Then I've got my overwintering chilies that I've got in here. These are chilli seedlings. They're very, very young. I'm just hoping they're going to be warm enough to get through the winter in here. I've also got a few cuttings of herbs that I've taken a few weeks ago. Again, they're all looking okay. Uh, bit sad the cuttings actually but everything else is looking really really good talking of heating while i was in these garden centers i happened to find a paraffin heater that was also being sold off fairly cheap so i've brought that and i've been playing around with that trying to get that just right it's a bit of a art form i'm finding to get the wick set right i find if it goes too high get a load of black soot come out too low and it extinguishes itself again with black suits so bit of a learning curve with that uh, it may not make a huge amount of difference this paraffin heater is a hanging type and it's very very small so i don't think it's really going to make a huge amount of difference in terms of heating here i'm just hoping it's going to hold off the cold frosts just a little bit in here just to keep things a little bit warmer and keep things like the chili plants ticking over throughout the winter I might actually move some of these indoors into my little room. I'm not sure yet. We'll see how that goes. So that's it for today. Again, I think all week this weather has been miserable. And that's really annoying me, actually, because I can't do a huge amount. Well, today is Sunday, the 27th of October, 2019. And I am on the allotment. It's been a dry morning all morning. Uh, fairly warm although there's a bit of a chill in the air but it's been nice now I've only been able to spend a morning on the allotment today because it's my dad's birthday and I'm uh, meeting up for lunch but what I have been doing today well I came down the allotment and as always I like to take a check of what's going on garlic that has continued to grow which is brilliant but the onions that I planted out last week they're not so much showing signs of top growth but what I did notice is a few of the young insects have been pulled out, probably by birds, which is quite common, and all I've got to do is pop them back in. But some of the young insects that have been pulled out 
I can see they have put on some really good root growth. So that means they are obviously starting to grow and kicking into life, which is brilliant. Hopefully soon they will start putting some top growth on as well. Now the ones that were pulled out have just popped back into place and they will be fine like that and continue to grow. So this then left me with the decision on what to do. Now I've been planning a few changes on this allotment but we'll go over that in future podcasts. But I do sort of measure it out so I can draw out some diagrams because what I want to do really is rebuild one of my beds that has completely collapsed and by rebuilding it I'm going to adjust it I think I've spoke before about rebuilding the beds but I'm going to adjust it so I can actually have bigger paths the trouble with the paths at the moment is they're too small and if I'm trying to carry a load of compost or manure uh, it becomes a bit difficult so I just want to make some bigger paths so I can get down I'm going for sort of half a meter wide I think that'll be plenty anyway that was all measured out and that's what I am planning I'll be drawing up designs later on but after that my next main goal today was to get rid of all my outdoor tomatoes they came to the end they're still yes they're still producing a few tomatoes but they're just looking so messy now so I've just uprooted all the tomato plants I had outside picked off any tomatoes red ones will be used green ones will be left to ripen at home so nothing gets wasted as always and that'll do me absolutely fine with the tomato area now clear i have then proceeded to cover over with more horse manure that's all i'm really trying to do at the moment these are obviously on the top bed the main bed and as the beds just become clear i'm just throwing down a load of manure to cover it over and suppress any weeds. Now I've run out of time to complete this in that area but I've sort of done half of it and this is a good six inches thick so pretty decent amount of compost uh, manure and should suppress any weeds. Now I'll be returning to this over the next week if not next weekend to try and complete this area. Uh, it just makes it look a bit tidier but that, that's it really for today and what I've been up to today. Now, as always, we have a tip of a week from the Plant Grow Harvest Calendar, and this week's tip reads, Bare-rooted roses can be planted in sheltered sunny spots with plenty of water and compost to get them going. Now, when I first read that, I thought that sounded very similar to a tip from a couple of weeks ago, but that tip was about planting bare-rooted fruit trees. Pretty much the same sort of thing, though, to be honest. However, Roses can be used as an edible in a kitchen and the petals are quite often used in Asian cooking. So it does tie in with edible gardening. Before I get on with the zombie apocalypse, now last night being Sunday night, I did host a little Facebook live stream on the VegGrow podcast Facebook page. Now these live streams are something that I've been toying with for doing for a while. And what I kind of wanted to do was actually feature pictures from people in the Facebook group or who have emailed me their pictures. Well, I've got a setup that I think this can work with. And uh, I've done it last night as a bit of an experiment. It seemed to work. And what I want to do is get people debating these pictures, talking about the pictures and, and so on. So if you want to get involved and feature your picture, head on over to the page and like the page. And then you get notified when I go live. 
post in the Facebook group and your picture could be featured in the show. Or if you don't want to get in the Facebook group, email me richard at uk. I'm hoping this could be a lot of fun. And last night we had a lot of discussion about hydroponics. And uh, one of my listeners did actually say, or had a question about Chilean guava. And I wasn't sure on the answer at the time, but I have the answer now. Chilean guava is an evergreen fruit-bearing shrub originating from Chile on the South American continent. And I actually have had one of these plants for a number of years. But because it's never really done anything for me, I've never really done much about it. I've never got fruit from it, so it's kind of been forgotten about. So when I got this question, it kind of jogged my memory. And the question was from Owen, who wants to know if it needs low pH soil to grow. Well, I did a bit quick bit of research today and found out it pretty much grows in all soils and all pH levels. However, thank you for jogging my memory because next year now I am really going to try and get this to bear fruit. Now imagine this scenario sent to me by a listener and zombies are real. The world is in freefall. It may seem a little far-fetched, but some people do prepare for end-of-the-world scenarios, and this could well be it. I have read many, many times that it actually only takes three days of disruption in the supply chain for our society to fall into anarchy. Supermarket shelves will be empty in a few days, and survivors will need to be self-reliant. So could allotments be our biggest asset? Supposing we've ridden out the initial collapse of society and we find ourselves with our allotments, what would we do? Well, the first thing I think I would pay attention to is security, and that's going to be a big issue. Let's face it, allotments are not the most secure of places. They get broken into all the time. And when the shops are out of food, most of the public will be searching for anything they can eat. Now, based on zombie films, zombies are not all that clever. So as long as the perimeter is made from fairly strong fences or something that is fairly strong, the zombies probably will not get into this unless somebody leaves a gate open or something silly like that. Now, of course, there might be other allotmenteers who have also survived the uh, zombie apocalypse and they're using their allotments. And this is going to be essential for community spirit. It'd be great in this scenario, go and chat with your survivors' allotments and see if you can all work together to keep the place secure and keep ourselves well-fed. However, the public who are scavenging for food and are desperate for food, they can still probably climb over fences. Now, I like to think that most of these survivors will be peaceful and not want to cause any harm, provided they can get some food and water, which to me means that in this scenario... I'm going to be growing extra food to give away to these people and they're going to need it. Now they could actually pay us back and help us out. They may not be able to grow food but they could perhaps learn or learn how to work the land or even act as security and help with the uh, garden of the perimeter of the allotment. But then there's always going to be the people who are not peaceful and they're just going to want to take what they can get. Personally, I don't think that these people are going to last for that long. Quite simply, they lack the skills to be self-sufficient now they might be able to bully the way to get some food in the short term and they might upset quite a few people in along that way in the long term however there is always going to be somebody who can stand up to a bully and that may not end up well for the bully so that's why i think community and creating communities is going to be really a big thing to do to keep our allotment secure 
Now if you're like me and you have food growing in our allotment and garden all year round, this is going to be more crucial than ever. The option to pop down the shop for dinner is not going to be a possibility. But we're also not going to be able to pop down the shop to buy seeds or tools. So not only will we be growing food all year round, we will also be needing to grow plants in order to save seeds from the plants to grow the following season. Now what I would be looking at doing here is sowing extra seeds when it comes to sowing seed time. Then these seeds, once they've germinated and grown on, they're going to be planted out in a separate area. And that area is going to be destined for seed saving. Now by rights, to save seed from these plants, we would need to be using heirloom varieties. Now these are varieties that haven't been crossbred or bred in a lab or anything like that. That way, when we sow the saved seeds, we know they're going to come true to form. They're going to be exactly the same genetic makeup as its parent plant. Heirloom varieties are only one option. The F1 varieties that many varieties we have these days are. These are kind of bred from two varieties. Now, for the sake of trying to explain this, we're going to call them plant two varieties, mum and dad. And these two breed together and they produce a child plant. Now that child plant is obviously going to produce edible crops and the seed. If we take that seed from the child plant and grow it into a plant, the following plant is going to be closer to either its mum or dad in a genetic makeup. Now that could work in our favour and it could not. It's very difficult to tell. And the reality is in a scenario where we're not able to buy seeds, we are not going to be able to be picky we're going to have to grow as many different varieties of seeds that we have available and try and save as many seeds as we possibly could in order to get more plants growing the next year. But there's also another reason that I would be looking at growing different varieties and that's quite simply because of diseases and pests. Now a prime example of what I'm talking about here would be the Irish potato famine. Back then, the Irish only grew one variety of potato and that was wiped out with blight, which meant that Ireland suffered famine due to this horrible disease wiping out their crop. And that very much could happen in a scenario if we're only growing one variety. So I would be looking at growing several varieties of several different crops. So it could be tomatoes, I could have four or five different tomatoes, potatoes, ten different potatoes, pumpkins, I have five different pumpkins. You know, as many different varieties as I could possibly get is what I would be doing. And if we're growing many different varieties, we have a better chance of surviving this risk of getting our crops wiped out by a single disease. Now, it should be said that with seed saving, it is possible to get crossbreeds that happen naturally. For example, my Crown Prince pumpkin that I grew this year, the seed packet said it was Crown Prince, but the pumpkin that developed definitely was not Crown Prince. And what's happened there is that the seed has been cross-contaminated in its parent form and produced something completely different. Now, when I was researching this, breeders actually isolate their plants destined for seeds, such as growing them in their own greenhouse, so they can't be cross-pollinated. But I think in, in a zombie apocalypse, this is going to be too hard to achieve. So all I'm going to do is dedicate an area to growing seeds. I wouldn't take any other steps to really avoid cross-breeding. Now on the subject of growing plants, personally I would not bother growing ornamentals in a survival situation. I don't actually grow many ornamentals now. However, I do think medicinal herbs are going to be just as important as growing food. Now many plants do have medicinal properties and for centuries that is what was used to treat many ailments. 
Many of these herbs have been proven to be effective and for example I grow feverfew to help with my migraines. Now I also see this as being another use for our allotments in an apocalyptic situation. We're not going to be able to get medical supplies from a chemist. Tools are going to be priceless and will need a lot of looking after. A spade is a very useful tool but if a spade breaks we can't pop down the shop and buy another one. So what are we going to do? Well I would be looking after my tools incredibly well but I would also be checking any sheds to find any that are vacant and collect as many tools as possible. Now the sheds we're going to have to take care when scoping these out because there is a chance that there could be a surprise zombie inside one. However, if we can collect as many garden tools as possible, we could end up with a very long supply of these tools, which we're going to need. Failing that, it is possible that there is another survivor out there who is a blacksmith. Or we could fashion our own tools, such as using a sturdy stick to a digging stick. These are all options, and they're the only options I really see available to us in a zombie apocalypse. But then we also need to think about fertilisers and feeds. And I think the easiest way to deal with this would be to make our own. Now I've often spoken of the wormery and the plant food that the wormery produces is by far some of the best plant feed that I've ever used. And I think in a zombie apocalypse this is going to be how we're going to get a lot of our food. But we don't just need a wormery to produce plant food. Another option could be using other plants such as comfrey. Now comfrey is a plant that many allotmenteers grow in order to make comfrey feed and it's a very very good feed especially for tomatoes i actually have loads of it on my allotment and i'm trying to get rid of one plant because it's in the wrong place now the foliage on the comfrey can be rotted down to make a very powerful plant feed either by putting the foliage in a bucket either on its own or with water for a couple of weeks and then drain off any liquid to use as a plant feed other options could be nettles or borage I've used nettle feed many, many times before. That's actually a very, very good one, especially for seedlings, I find, as well. Also seaweed, if you're lucky enough to live near a coast. Now, this can also be done with nettles and borage. So there's plenty of options out there, providing we know how to use and uh, what we can use. Currently, we are very lucky that we are able to access a lot of information so easily just by doing a simple Google search. But... In a zombie apocalypse scenario, we're going to be relying on books. The internet is not going to exist. Now, I have a huge collection of books already, so, and they are quite often what I read through to get some information. I mentioned water, and that's just reminded me that we're not going to be able to turn a tap on and get water. Fortunately, here in the UK, we are very lucky that we get rain right throughout the year. But this rain is going to have to be stored and we are going to have to store as much of it as possible. So not only can we water our plants, but also so we can drink water and bathe too. Now for that reason alone, I would be setting up as many water butts or containers to catch as much water as possible. Currently at home, I have 13 water butts and that provides me with enough water to water our garden right throughout the year. But what if we do need to drink more water and what if we need to wash too? then I think we would need to quadruple the amount of water butts we have and that can take up a lot of space. However, it's possible we can grow plants on these water butts too, on top of them, perhaps some salads or something. So we could still be using the space productively. Or another option could be to make a water reservoir on the allotment site in order to store as much water as possible. Currently, it's probably against many allotment rules, but in this zombie apocalypse predicament, I don't think the allotment police are going to be involved. 
Now finally, we have put all this energy into growing and harvesting of food. But storing food is going to be a challenging one, isn't it? We're not going to have refrigeration after all. There's not going to be any, any mains electricity to run fridges and freezers. We may be lucky enough to have a generator, but running a fridge all day is going to run through the fuel in no time. So instead, we're going to be looking at other forms of storing food. Now for me, the best way to keep anything fresh is to leave it in the ground until it is really needed. For example, potatoes, when I grew these in buckets, I would leave them in the buckets until I needed them. I even harvested potatoes as late as January. Of course, when grown in the ground, the ground can become frozen, which makes harvesting difficult. So what we would need to do here is dig them out while we still can and then store them. And the method of storing would be something called a clamp. This is a very old method of storing root vegetables and what we would do here is place a thick layer of straw on the ground. Then on that layer of straw we would pot all our root vegetables such as carrots or beetroot. Then we would cover those over in more straw. I would repeat this process until all our vegetables are stored and then we would probably cover this clamp in mud just to add a bit more protection. All this does is it kind of insulates all our food from the frost and from the damages and it can last for quite a long time like this. Now another option would be canning food which I've done quite a bit in the past. It's actually um, a pretty good way of storing food. What I found is that I filled jam jars up with let's say runner beans and then water and then I've placed the jars in like a water bath for bain-marie to really sterilize them and make sure there's no bugs or anything in there it's certainly an option it's another old-fashioned option providing we can get hold of jam jars but again preserving food there's so many options and again we're going to need knowledge on this beforehand well in summary I do see allotments being a very big asset in a zombie apocalypse but there's several considerations. As grow our owners, our biggest asset is going to be our skills and knowledge and experience. And that is going to what will be seeing us through a zombie apocalypse. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this topic this week. It's been a bit of fun, hasn't it? If you have any thoughts on how you would survive, then please leave a comment on the blog post at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk. Or you can email me, richard at thevegrowerpodcast.co.uk and don't forget social media. Why is that noise? Anyway, but please, don't have nightmares. What the... Uh, <laughs>